Hi, this is Erica Bogan. Thank you for listening to the I Am Spartan podcast with Scott Knowles. I'm Scott the Fane Knowles, and you're listening to another episode of I'm a Spartan OCR podcast. Uh, interesting story. Last Tuesday, after I got done interviewing Tim, I noticed my throat was starting to get a little sore. So the next day, I worked for a hospital. I went to Employee Health, got checked out, got swabbed for flu, strep, and COVID, and I had strep and COVID, which kind of sucked. <clears throat> I had to stay out of work all week last week and quarantine at the house. And Saturday was my birthday, and I had to pretty much spend it by myself. But you know what? I made the best of it. I had a mild case of COVID, which was awesome to see because I have borderline asthma, and I've always kind of been worried about how it might flare it up, you know? So I guess it's a good thing that I got COVID now where it's kind of like this weakened version of the virus than that full-fledged one that we first saw in, like, 2020, which was awful. So I was happy that... You know, I didn't have any problems breathing, so that was that was good to see. And uh, it's all behind me now, and I hope I never get it again. That'd be great. And it's all out of the way for Newberry Race, which is coming up next weekend. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to seeing everybody there. It's going to be an age group series race. Everybody's going to be there tearing it up. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all my friends, especially some of the West Coast guys that come to the age group series races that I don't usually get to see. Um, also, my buddy Michael just brought this to my attention, uh, the ultra in New Jersey that's usually in April is no longer an ultra. It's only scheduled to be a sprint super weekend. They are, however, you know, they're doing that ultra in October this year. So I'm assuming they like doing the ultra option more in October and not April. Because next year, or for 2023 in April, it's only going to be a super sprint weekend. I probably will not fly up for that, just a super and sprint. But that's kind of a bummer because that was always kind of the early ultra of the year, unless you, you know, went out to California, because I think they got one in like January or February. So that's kind of a bummer, So, but the cool thing is is they're going to do the Fayetteville Ultra again so we can go do that flat, hot race because that usually is a very hot race. But anyway, I got a super cool guest. I don't know why I have not had her on before this. I've done a disservice because she, and you'll hear us talk about this, the, the first time I met Ray in person and the only time I've met her, we were both going up the death march at Killington and she ran by me and I spoke to her and she recognized my voice off of the podcast and I thought that was really cool most people recognize my voice before they recognize me which I think is always funny it's probably because I sound southern but I don't like country music so that's 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 a good thing but anyway here's the interview with Rhea Coble Rhea Coble how are you doing today I'm doing great how are you I'm doing very well. Rhea, I know that we have been at a lot of the same races together, like championship races, mainly probably like West Virginia and stuff, but I don't think I've spoken with you since the death march at Killington in 2018, and that was when you were passing by me at a very high-speed rate going up the hill while I was walking very slowly. Gosh, that's a long time ago. I feel like a lot has changed since then. I know. <laughs> I haven't done that death march since, so it's been it's been a while. I know, but there was, there's always been a soft place in my heart for you because when I spoke to you going up the hill, you recognized my voice from the podcast and let let me know that you were a listener, and that really made me feel good. <laughs> Well, glad to hear. <laughs> you probably don't listen anymore because that's been years ago, but still, that day it made me feel good. <laughs> so, Rhea, this is a good time to have you on because a couple of weeks ago you placed third at the uh, Utah National Series race. And then this past weekend, at the last minute, you jumped into an Xterra National Championship race as well and 
like one your age group too, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that was a very last minute decision, and it turned out to be a really great one. <laughs> yeah, it looked like it. So you didn't have to like qualify for that championship race or nothing. I didn't have to qualify for the age group. Hence, oh. I did the age group. I would not be allowed to race in the pro. Right. Um, you have to earn the pro card. So age group uh. was what I could do, and it's what I jumped on. <laughs> so, so that was like your first Xterra race ever. Yes, it oh, was. Wow. Um, I've never done swimming competitively ever, like in a timely fashion. Oh, so. Wow. I wasn't sure how that was going to go, but it went better than expected. <laughs> so do you train swimming or was it just like you were going to wing it? I don't, but I, I grew up going to seaside every summer. So I grew up in the water and whenever I got very, very injured in the past, like swimming was kind of like the last resort. And so I would occasionally do it. So I know like how to do freestyle and I know how to go for a very long time. Like I can, even when I got injured, I could just like uh, jump in the pool and swim continuously for 45 minutes. Right. But I've never like had any official training and I did one session prior to Xterra like three days before just to <laughs> test if my wetsuit was holding. Right. So that was the extent of my swim preparation. So, so it is, so what an Xterra is, that's like an off-road triathlon, right? But the distances, they're, they're, they're different, right? Yeah, exactly. So we did a one and a half kilometer swim and then we did about 15 mile bike ride, 16 mile bike ride. Yeah. And then around a six mile trail run. So it was very fun. Um, it was one of those things I've always wanted to try, but it was always just kind of like, one of the things I want to try eventually. Um, so I figured it was a good time because it just kind of worked out. My coach, Josiah Mido, he's a world championship in Xterra. So when I started working with him, it kind of became more of a thing I was interested in. And so when he was in Utah as well, and we were chatting at the finish line, and he mentioned that he hoped he's not going to be too sore for the national championships the next weekend. And so I was like, well, I have nothing going on next weekend. Like, do you <laughs> think it's a good idea to try? And so... He thought it'd be a great training session. Yeah, I like um, Josiah. I had him on and interviewed him. Uh, I think when he when he come and did that race in Jacksonville, I think it was like his yeah. first hit into the national series. I guess that was maybe 2019. I interviewed him after that. I really like him. He's a really cool guy. He's a really good coach, yeah. So he encouraged me to try it, and it went really well. <laughs> well, he's probably the best coach to have for that, I would think. I would think so, too. <laughs> And so you doing that, um, and it being your first time, did you like, like make any mistakes and be like, well, I could have done this differently. I'm sure it was a good learning experience to where you could probably cut a lot of time off the next time you give that a try. Right. Yeah. My transitions were, you know, slower than the transition of people who've been in the game for a long time. And like, I forgot to like unzip because I have my bike shoes are like Velcro and they have three Velcro straps on it. And I forgot to undo those. So I spent like a good minute undoing my shoes before I could put my feet in. And then I wasn't quite like, I didn't dare to try running barefoot for the trail run. So, you know, I spent like some time putting socks on, which most people don't, but I just like kind of really didn't want to get blisters. <laughs> so, oh. There were little things like that, but I feel like overall, overall, it actually went really, really good. Um, and I think part of that is, you know, like it was my first Xterra, but it wasn't my first multi-sports race. And so right. I've kind of learned what to pay attention to in transition and how to be efficient at them, even if they weren't exactly this like event specific. So, um, you know, there's definitely free time there because it was my first time, but I feel like not as much as if I've never done a multi-sport event before. Yeah, so I, so I don't know nothing about the triathlon scene, really. But that so that's the norm is people will just put on running shoes and don't put on run, socks and just go into it. Yeah, exactly. That so I, I braved the bike. I did bike without socks, and that was fine. Um, but I was like, I'm putting socks on for the run. Yo, yeah, <laughs> I would too, man. I couldn't imagine and like, well, I mean. I, it's t I mean, you said it was only like a six-mile trail run. That's, that's something different. Like, you might could make it through there, and maybe if you caught like a small blister, you might could 
finish a six mile run, but if it was something longer than that, man, I'd be really, if my feet weren't conditioned for that, it'd be hard to be like, no, screw it. I'm not going to wear socks. That'd be hard for me to do. Exactly. I figured I would lose more time if I got a big blister on mile two than I did putting socks on. Yeah. And it'd like mess up your training too. You'd have a big blister. You wouldn't be able to train. Yeah. I couldn't do that. Nope. Exactly. I had a fun adventure plan for the next day. So I didn't want to have to not do that because of a blister. <laughs> right. So, so you doing that, I think I read in your post that it qualifies you to uh, go to the world championships in Italy in October. Yeah, that's right. And um, I haven't quite 100% decided if I'm going yet because it, if I did go, it would be my fourth trip to Europe this year. Oh, wow. It just seems a little lot. But one thing that's like kind of playing to it is there's also sky running world championship the week after in spain oh there you go which i also wanted to go to but i was like well i can't really justify going back for one event um but maybe for two i could it is though like it's about three weeks after my trans alpine run which is a eight day stage race across the alps and i've never ran that much of a volume holy crap before so i'm not sure how i feel after that so i feel hesitant planning another trip not knowing how my body will respond to an effort that big. So it's kind of still under consideration. <laughs> so you're planning a seven-day running trip? Is that what you said? Yeah, it's eight days. Eight so days? So it's a, it's a race. It's a partner race. Right. Um, and you start, you start in Germany and you go across the Alps through Germany, Austria, and then you end in Italy. Um, and it's about like 200 miles total with about 58,000 feet of gain. Right. So the days are pretty big and they're definitely much bigger than any days that I do training wise right now. So there'll be a push for my body and we'll just have to see how it responds. <laughs> You're pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely not bored. So are you also planning to do like the Spartan 24-hour ultra cuz it's pretty close around that time too, isn't it? Yeah, it is, and I'm actually not going to do it this year. Oh, yeah. Um I I realized that, you know, the big efforts in your life are counted and you only have so many, and I've done four 24-hour OCR events now. And at that last one, I feel like the spark and the joy that was there before was missing. Right. And so I feel like that's a good reason to go find something else. And I feel like, you know, it's time for somebody else to take the win. Right. So I, if I'm around, I actually might go because I have quite a few athletes that I coach racing it. So I'm kind of very excited to maybe be on the other side of the events, helping people succeed. Right. Um, but I feel like I've done what I wanted to do with those events and i um, going to take a little bit of a break before and you, doing another one. And you say you kind of lost the spark in that 24-hour event. Do you think it's just because there wasn't a big field there and you were probably running by yourself most of that race, weren't you? I don't think it was so much the field because I feel like I can always find something to chase. So, like, even if there's not a strong female field, and Katie was actually not that far behind me. Um, you can always chase the men's podium. So I feel like there's always objectives and goals to achieve. It was more that when it started hurting, I couldn't quite find a very strong why I'm doing it. And that made it really hard to push through the hard hard hours. And I wanted to stop quite a bit sooner before the 24 hours were up. And it took a bit of convincing to get me to go out there again. And I feel like it was just kind of different than in the years prior. Right. So you've done both World's Toughest Motor and you've done the Spartan Ultra uh, races as well. Which do you prefer? I think they're so very different. Um, it's right. really hard to compare them. I really like the team team component of the World's Toughest Motor. I like that there was cooperation because it it just introduced more human interaction throughout the 24 hours, which I think is what kind of helps me energize, especially in the late hours of the race. And then Spartan is a lot more competitive and like cutthroat. And so there's like, I've never had to worry in world stuff as matter. If I go out for another lap, will I make it through the obstacles and actually make it to the finish? Like it was a no brainer because even if I wasn't going to, I'm just going to sit at an obstacle until somebody comes and hoists me over. 
And in Spartan Ultra World Championship, like that's a real concern because you're disqualified if you don't make it to the finish line. And towards the end, like some of those walls just require so much intensity and power that you start doubting, like, if I go out again, will I make it over every wall? And will I make it through the bucket carry? And like all those things that are mandatory that you don't have to worry so much in World Stuff as Mother. Um, so, yeah, I would say they're just, they're very different events. Um, I didn't like once World Stuff as Mother started doing like the, too much of like the carabiners and like right. hugging the volunteers and kind of like too much of making your own race because I feel like there still has to be some amount of set rules. Um, right. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I could pick like I really like one better than the other. They were very different. Right. So, did when they did tell you ride this last time, the the rules for that one they changed them, you know, to where they were a little more strict and the penalties were worse than they were in uh, well, where was it? Was the year before that was Sweden? Sweden, yeah. Yeah. So, which did you prefer running at more? Did you like running at Sweden better, or did you like running at Telluride better? I think Sweden was one of my all-time favorite events. It was just, with the snow, it was incredible. I, I loved being in a snow blizzard for 24 hours. And, like, in a way, it almost made the race easier because... A, like, the Mother Nature was the biggest obstacle, and they knew that. And so other obstacles were, like, made a little less punishing because of that. Um, right. I remember the play drag was, like, on ice. So really all you had to do was, like, tug a little, and the thing just, like, floated for you. And then for the, last two, for the last two laps, I put snow pants on, and I just slid all of the descents on my butt. Like, there was none of that in Telluride. In Telluride, you had to be, like, on your toes, and the descents were, like, so technical. And it was really hard when you were really tired and, like, not very well coordinated anymore. And I just felt like they, like, the weather was really beautiful. And I think they made up for the lack of, you know, Mother Nature contending with the course by making it really, really difficult. Like, I don't think I will ever forget that bucket carry. It was the longest bucket carry I've ever done in any of the races I did. And it went straight down this really steep hill, hill and then straight up the really steep hill. And right before then, right before the bucket carry was Olympus, which froze over at some point during the night. So I couldn't do it anymore. And the penalty for that was a long bucket carry. Oh, wow. And there was literally like 20 yards in between. So you carried a bucket and then you walked 20 yards and then you carried the bucket again. Um, so it was just, Telluride was just really, really hard. And I had... A lot of issues with nutrition as well, and I think that was just because we started at 9,600 feet, and we only went up from there. So it was high altitudes, like challenges that you know, like I, I do live like relatively high, and I did go sleep at like 12,000 feet for two weeks before then. Right. And I think it helped some, but I can't even imagine how people who came from sea level contended with that course because that was like really, really hard. Yeah, I've, I've, that's one thing I've yet to do is to do a uh, a race that's at a really high above sea level yet. I haven't done that yet, and I wonder how my body's going to react. Because you hear different different things from different people. They say that, um, well, it didn't bother me at all, and then some of them say, man, I just couldn't breathe, you know. So I'm curious how. Yeah, and it's, wanna... really, it's really hard to predict. Like, it doesn't mean, like, being in a better shape means nothing about how you're going to react. You just have to try it and see how you, how your body reacts to it. So I feel like it's one of like, you know, big challenges and I feel like it makes the races at high altitude. It introduces another variable where you're not sure how competition is going to shape up. Right. And don't you live at elevation, right? In Colorado, right? I do. I'm in golden, which I think we're at like 6,200 feet. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in the winter, I spend a lot of the time at a ski share that we have in the mountains at about 9,000 feet. Um, so I'm pretty high up, but not quite as high as the Telluride race was. <laughs> right. Mm. That sounds pretty cool. I, you know, and I know a lot of people like to, especially the, you know, the upper elites, you know, that are training, they all want to move to elevation and get that, you know, that extra help when they're at the races to run better at the, you know, when they're at higher up elevations too as well. Um, hopefully next year we're thinking about doing Utah. So I'm wanting to see nice. how I do there. 
Yeah, that's a hard one. I feel like that's one of the harder venues that Spartan has. It's always hot, and like I think like heat combined with like very dry air and altitude makes that course really challenging. Right. Well, it looks like you had a good race there. You know, a couple of weeks ago. Tell us about how that race went. Yeah, um, I actually had one of the best races in a long time, and I felt like it, it almost kind of had to. I had to relearn how to race Spartan races this year because. I came into Big Bear off of like a really successful schema season in the winter. And there I was able to just like go all out. And for some reason I didn't like blow up at all. And I was like, oh, like maybe I have this like superpower and I can go all out and not, not blow up. And I went all out in Big Bear and blew up like five minutes later up the hill and basically like walked it in for the next five and a half miles. So Mexico, I was kind of like being like, okay, that wasn't a good strategy. And so... I maybe went out a little bit more conservatively there and I was like just like kind of worried about what everybody else was doing most of the race and so my one biggest goal for Utah was like to just like run my own race because I haven't done that in a very long time and I feel like most of my best races were where I was running my own race so I went out really slow there I was like pretty far back of the pack at the start um but I just like kept telling myself to like not worry about what other people are doing and I slowly kept on catching up with people ahead of me and I ran myself I think into like a fort place or something that I was with like Rose and Jamie Bursa right there and I was actually surprised how well I was descending in that race because coming into Big Bear like descent definitely wasn't my strong suit and that's probably because I haven't descended since you know old World championship in October before then mm-hmm. um very much and so that kind of took like a couple of months to build back up. But I feel like because of all the downhill skiing that I've been doing and the mountain biking that I've been doing, what used to be really my weakness was no longer a weakness in Utah. And it was really empowering to see that not only were people not passing me in the downhills, I was catching them. And so that kind of lit a little bit of a fire in me after the first descent. And so I started, you know, just like pushing the gas a little bit more on that second long climb. Um, and got myself into second place, like right coming into the finishing gauntlet, and then I threw the worst spear probably I have <laughs> thrown in a long time. But I, I was just trying to rush because I knew that like there just wasn't a lot of time for you know focus and stuff. Um, and yeah, then like I feel like the last five minutes of the race were the most painful I've ever ran because Chris Rose hit her spear, and then Chris was right behind me, and I was like so determined I'm not going to lose the podium in the last five minutes and I was running in second or third place the entire race and so I pushed really really hard um and it it felt really good to have my body respond to that because the first couple of races of the season I feel like I I didn't really have quite that drive like in Big Bear when Rose passed me by the rig which was also close to the finish line I was just like "Eh, I'm just gonna let her go because I just was like so I raced a lot in the winter and I think my motivation was just severely depleted at that point. So it was nice to see that come back. And um, yeah, I feel like there's still a few battles of the season left that I can put that to use. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually looked like you had second in the bag, you know, because I watched the live feed and when when y'all all got to the monkey bars, you just looked like you had you had more fire going through the monkey bars than you know, Rose did, and I, I, I just knew for sure it looked like you were going to be able to get second, and then, like you said, you missed that spear throw. H- how long was that penalty loop on spear throw? It must have been pretty long. It was long. It went quite a ways up the hill and then kind of, like, down and, like, bushwhacking through some, like, trees and bushes on the way down, so it wasn't, like, a straightforward up and down. I don't think it was quite as long as what 30 burpees would have been, Um, but it definitely, it was like a game changer, which, you know, I kind of wish they didn't do that anymore. I feel like if sure, like if spare is like something that is, you know, like part of the event, just put it in the middle somewhere where, you know, there's still enough of a race left that you have a chance. Cause I feel like people race differently. Like when I know that there's still a spear throw before the finish line, I will not push myself as hard to make the gap because I know like it will come down to whoever hit the spear right um and i feel like it was the same in utah again so <laughs> I, I i'm the same way i'd rather the spear be either like early on or mid-race that way once you make the spear you know that 
you know, okay, I've got a clean race, you know, because I've got past the, you know, the one obstacle that's always tricky in my head, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, I, I, you could tell when you were running up, you know, towards the finish line in that last part, just that little bit of uphill climb that you were pushing to the to the limit. It was really, it was really cool to watch. And seeing <laughs> Thank you, you. Um, and, and seeing you look I, over I, your I think, shoulder too. <laughs> I think I was glancing over my shoulder every like five yards. <laughs> yeah, I would have been too. I would have been too. But that that was an awesome finish. It, it, that was the highlight of the day. I think was watching the women's race to me. Oh, well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a good watch for sure. Um, an- another thing I want to talk to you about, and it's something I've always am- am- admired watching you run, is you tend to normally always keep like a running posture when you're going up hills. Where most people would swap to a power hike, you're still in like a little jogging, you know, kind of rhythm. Um, what is your strategy to this? Because, you know, I just finished Palmerton a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, the first day I ran, I kind of tried to stay more in a jogging pace, and then the next day I tried to work more towards power hiking and just trying to kind of work both systems to see, you know, when is the right time to switch up. And I'm just, you seem to be kind of a master of that, and I'm just wondering what is your strategy to, to that? Yeah, I feel like part of it is just, like, very individual. I think I'm one of the few people that is probably more efficient at running most of the grades until it becomes really, really steep than I am at power hiking. I'm not a very fast power hiker, and I think I think it's because when I started running, like, I never quite really considered power hiking would be, like, part of it. So I kind of taught myself from the very start to run up even, like, very steep grades. And so I feel like my power hiking game is still, like, catching on with being efficient at it. Um, but really what it comes down to me is I would try and run most of the terrain that's, like, pretty smooth on the way up. So I can take really short steps, like, really small, quick, short steps. And I can be pretty upright and drive the motion from, like, glutes and hamstrings, which, you know, are a little bit stronger of a muscle um, than just, like, relying on your quads. Um, but if the terrain is, like pretty uneven or very technical or there's like big rocks that you have to step over then I do find that power hiking is actually a lot more efficient because you can't just take like small steps like the terrain will kind of dictate the size of the step you have to take and I think in those instances power hiking is definitely more efficient but they definitely work very different muscles Um, so I feel like probably the best way to do it is in really long climbs to just alternate between the two um, and you know, like I can look at my heart rate and I can see which mode at a given slope elevates my heart rate less at the same pace. And so then I kind of choose that. So I like glance at my watch every now and then to see how that's going. Um, and then just kind of, it really depends on the race. Sometimes I just don't have the jog steps in it, in me. So I would power hike more. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that one of them is faster than the other, like, no, at I all, like for, for everybody. Because I remember in Utah, Chris was, like, hiking, I would say, most of the climbs. And I was running most of the climbs. And every time there was, like, an opportunity to glance back, like, she was still right there. So I feel like she was hiking at the same speed that I was running. It's just that running is more efficient for me um, at steeper grades. Yeah, I mean, I, I noticed that too, because it, even I'll be holding a, you know, a running formation a lot of times and there'll be people that'll power hike and there's, they're, you know, they're leaving me or, or, you know, I'm running the same speed as them too. And and I'm like you, it's all about efficiency, but I guess my problem is, is finding out where I'm more efficient at. Cause it always seems like when I drop back to start power hiking, it's like I'm using more energy, but I can breathe it better. But if I'm doing a slower jog, I can, I'm not using as much energy, but I can't breathe it as good. I, I, does that sound stupid? <laughs> no, no, no. That really makes sense. And I think it also, like, it really depends on what's on top of the hill. Like, right. when you get to the top of the hill, is there, you know, an obstacle where you're going to have to push in really, really high intensity? You probably don't want to be out of breath for that. Right. Um, is there a downhill when you get to the top of a hill? You can probably be 
a little bit more out of breath with a little bit fresher legs so you can run downhill faster or if it just like flattens out I would say the same as it being downhill like you want to have fresher legs because you know that your breath will be able to recover on the descent um so I feel like a lot of that you know like that's why it's important to kind of look at the race map before the race and figure out what your strategy will be kind of knowing what's coming up um although it's like hard to memorize the entire course but I feel like there are some like you know, key parts of the course that are just good to know ahead of time. And and when you're training, you said you were you would watch your heart rate when you would do these climbs. How do you how do you judge your heart rate when you're training for running uphill and doing the climbs? Yeah, I have I've done like a heart rate zones assessment test a while ago, so I know roughly where my you know, threshold zone is tempo zone, endurance zone. So I know what kind of heart rates I can sustain for how long of a time. So if I'm like in the 180s beats per minute, I know that's not very sustainable for a very long time. So I just try to back off or change what I'm doing to not stay there for a very long time. If if the climb is still pretty long, if I'm near the top, then it doesn't matter because I know I'll recover. Right. Um, but again, like if I know I'm coming into an obstacle where I'm going to have to push really hard, I wouldn't want to be at a really high heart rate coming into it. So um, when I train, I like try and train each training session. You know, there's specific things that I try and achieve and I'm supposed to be in specific heart rate zones for that. So it also all depends about that. So today I had like a really easy run and I went on trail. So I hiked most of the climbs to keep my heart rate low enough. Um, I couldn't like running just naturally elevated um, right. when you're when you're going pretty slow. So what is your favorite heel workout? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> I don't think I have, like, a favorite one. I like variety. I like that it, things are changing, you know, anything from, like, short 30-second intervals to 30-minute continuous times. Um, I think they're all fun, and I think it's, it's the variety that really is fun. I do have some, like, very punishing, really steep fire roads around me that I really like to go on and just do, like, 10-minute intervals. Um, it feels surprisingly long to go hard for 10 minutes, <laughs> yeah, like, like really microwave does. minutes. <laughs> and you say you're on your, you've pushed your heart rate and on climbs, your heart rate gets up to 180. It sounds like we've got about the same kind of heart rate. Cause my heart rate in my max zones gets up to like 186. That's about my max heart rate. So that's about the same. Yeah. It like depends. That's another thing that really depends person to person. So I feel like. If you really want to do heart rate training, you have to first figure out what your zones are. So you do a lot of heart rate training? I do most of my training by heart rate. Um, I've learned I didn't used to, and I've learned that I was doing just about everything too hard. So (laughs) when I switched to heart rate training, um, I got a lot less injured and a lot faster (laughs) as a result. (laughs) Right. So are you kind of like doing like an 80-20 type thing? Yeah, it's a little bit different for me because I do a lot of different sports. Um, So, um, you know, like my running, since there's not that many sessions, a lot of them are more quality sessions. So I would do like, you know, at least one speed work day a week and then maybe one long run with a little bit higher heart rate. Um, But I do a lot of recovery and easy days on the bike um, because it's a lot easier to have it under control. And that's how I add, like, a lot of the easy volume that's probably be on the bike. Right. So, Rhea, you do all these sports. What is your main, like, training focus? Because you're pretty good at all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think multi-sport would be my training focus. Um, I really – it changes a lot based on what race I have coming up. So, you know – on any given week, I will be doing biking, running, and strength training. And then if I have a running race coming up, it will be a little bit more runs and a little bit more like race-specific runs. Um, and then if I have a bike race coming up, it will be more biking and like more bike-specific workouts. Um, and then if I have, if I sign up for an Xterra last minute, I will jump in the lake <laughs> for one session. But it's kind of like everything. And then the emphasis just like in the proportion of hours I spent on it changes based on what race it's coming up. Hmm. So, so what are your main goals for like the rest of the year for all your races coming up? I think my main goal is like just have a lot of fun in the Trans-Alpine race. So um, that kind of like is my big event for the year um 
So I think that's kind of the main thing. But um, I don't really, I can't do high volume running training anymore because I feel like I pushed my body over the edge a little bit too much um, in the past. And so I'm still pretty low volume, even though that's my A event, but I'm, you know, adding a lot of other things to bring my overall volume higher up. So um, that's kind of my A event, but I have a few other things in the calendar. I'm doing a mountain bike national championships um, this coming Saturday and then um, more adventures in August. And then I'm going to Europe a little bit early before the big race and doing another sky race there that I really liked last year, but maybe didn't quite perform as good because <laughs> it was my first one. And there was like a steep learning curve to that as well. Um, and then I'm just not sure what it's going to look like after the Transalpine, just because like how my body responds will kind of dictate what happens the rest of the year. So I want to come into winter season fairly fresh and not burnt out. So I might just take, you know, October, November, December easy. Um, I will do the last race in the U.S. or not the U.S., North American Canada. Spartan Series. Yeah, I'll Kelowna. do that one in October. Um, I'm not doing the North American Championship because I'll be in Europe during that time, but I will finish off the series. And then I'm tempted to go to the World Championship this year because I skipped it last year. And I feel like it's just one of those experiences that I think would be interesting um, to add. And we have the great Sand Dunes National Park that I go to and train running on sand a little bit. Um, but all of that is up in the air and kind of pending how I feel comes September. (laughs) So did you like training on the sand for that kind of running? So I didn't do it last year, so I didn't do any sand training because I was already training on the snow. Right. Um, Because, yeah, a big race last year was in December for Schemo. Um, But I don't have that race this year, so... Um, if I do go there, I would definitely try and do very like race specific training because I think, you know, there's running economy on trails, running economy on pavement, and there's running economy on sand. And I don't think you can develop that unless you go and run on sand. So yeah, I don't um, even like running on the beach very much. So I don't think I'd like running up sand dunes with where the sand's just coming out from under your feet the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I don't know if I would like it, (laughs) but I feel like. You know, even things you're not sure if you would like, you should try. Yeah, and it, it looks like they're uh, since they're moving the venue, it'll be a little bit more. Um, ah, shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? It'll be more convenient this year since the venue is closer to uh, Abu Dhabi or to a bigger city this year instead of being a two and a half or three hour drive like it was last year. Yeah, and hoping there's no ETV party the night before. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It, it sounds like it was just poor planning. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard too. Because <laughs> those things get loud, especially when they modify the exhaust on them. I can't imagine trying to sleep with those things going all hours of the night. That would have been awful. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> But it didn't bother Ryan. He still managed to take the win. <laughs> of course. <laughs> not not much phases Ryan these days. Not much. <clears throat> so uh, I know that you come up in gymnastics uh, and you were working towards the Olympics like for your country, Slovenia, right? That's right. Did I pronounce that right? <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Words are hard. So, um... And then, you know, you start, you, you left that and you come to the States to get your degree and then you started trail running. But I'm curious, how did you find your first OCR race and what was it? It was on a Groupon. Um, there was a Groupon <laughs> for Monterey Beast. I think it was like 2013. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I went with a group of friends. And so I wanted to run as a team and they were like, we don't want to wait for you. And then oh. I beat all of them to the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up being pretty good from the start. And I just ran the Open in that that race. And I didn't do another one until like 2016. Um, and then 2016, I signed up for Elite, not knowing it was the U.S. National Series race. And I think I got fourth and everybody was wondering who the heck I was <laughs> in like cotton tank tops and like road running shoes. Now, was, um, was that Seattle for 2016? That was, 
No, that was, I was still wearing cotton in Seattle, but that was in Monterey as well. Because I was living in California at the time, and so Monterey was the most convenient venue for me. Um, So, yeah, and that kind of opened the door, um, and I kind of started doing it a lot more seriously in 2016. So it's been like like six years now. (laughs) So, So what did you say to all your friends when you beat them to the end of your first race? I don't remember, but I hope I rubbed it in. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> so, how did you? What did you think of it when you ran the first race? Did you did you have any problems with any of the obstacles, or was it all pretty easy for you with the gymnastic background? I think most of the things were like like monkey bars and rope climb and walls and all of that. It didn't give me much trouble. Um, I remember thinking bucket was really heavy and. I couldn't do the rig. I was just like, I didn't know what to do with myself. And that was back when, like, they were really creative with the rigs. Right. Um, so there were, like, these, like, big boxer things and, like, ropes with, like, little plates on the bottom. So I didn't make it anywhere close to the finish on that obstacle. Um, and the scare throw was just, like, not even. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been good at throwing things and not much has changed. Um so, but yeah, I just, I remember like at the start line, just looking around me and everybody just looked so fit. And I was like, what am I doing here? And I've never been a fast starter. So I was like way back at the start. And then I kind of didn't even notice I made my way up to the front like I did. So it was just one of those, like, it was similar to how like, you know, a lot of the sports that I got into afterwards, it's just, it's really fun at the start because you don't know who you're racing against. So you don't have this like, preconceived notion of who you can beat and who you can't right and you're just like you don't know where you're at so i feel like you're just racing for the pure fun of racing rather than worrying for where you're gonna finish and i think those races are like the most liberating and the most fun yeah i don't think it because I, I don't know why but when i started ra- racing and i was running open you know i took it we all took it serious, like, and we would only, like, try it once, you know. We wouldn't sit there and try it again to try to kind of practice and get better at it. And I didn't start making – I don't think I made my first spear until, like, my sixth race or something. I, I'm like you. I I'm, I wasn't great. I mean, I could throw <laughs> stuff, but I couldn't, like, have a good aim for it or nothing, you know. So I, I feel you there. But – and and to add to what you what you said – are you that type of racer where you, you kind of get into your head in a race and being like, oh, well, so-and-so's here, so I'm going to have to take second today? I feel like there's, like, some, like, you know, established people you just know right now that are kind of unbeatable. So, you know, when, like, Lindsay consistently finishes 15 minutes ahead of you on your good day, you kind of know, like, she's going to finish ahead of you. Um, but I feel like, Apart from like Lindsay and Emma, I feel like the rest of the female field right now is very close together. So I feel like it's very unpredictable before the race who's going to come on top. And it just comes down to so many different factors. Um, so I feel like yes and no. Like I don't count myself out, but I feel like I come with, with sort of realistic expectations of right. how at least the top spots are going to play out. Right. <laughs> Well, I mean, I just run age group, but I, I know, you know, I'm I'm kind of the same. I don't get in my head about it, but, I mean, I know guys that are there, and I know they're going to beat me by five or ten minutes, so I, I feel you there. But, you know, I kind of just go out there and just be like, hey, well, it is what it is. But, you know, when you're in, like, the first mile and you just feel like you're not running as fast as you could, and you're like, man, I'm fat, and why did I eat that burger last night? That's, like, the first thing that goes into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think burgers are great pre-race meals. I had some best races on burgers burgers and pizzas tend to like provide enough energy to run really fast the next day (laughs) yeah it's just it's just me being negative on myself because i feel like i'm never at the body weight i want to be at when i come to a race i guess that's a problem i have (laughs) it just seems like every thanksgiving i put on a little weight and i'll be like i'll have to cut this weight i'm still trying to cut weight from like a thanksgiving a year ago or something yeah, I don't think, like, I don't think, I think it's more like how prepared your body is and where you're at with your fitness matters more than where your weight is. Yeah, I think um, so And too. I feel like that's, like, one of the things you learn when you race a lot because when you race a lot, you can't, like, have, like, one specific pre-race plan for every week because then that's your life. And I feel like you learn more that it really doesn't matter that much 
what exactly you eat and like every specific pre-race ritual um and I feel like that's kind of the beauty of racing a lot is just learning which things are important and which are not. And so, like, for example, eating early enough the night before the race so you can digest in time to race fast is important, but not so much what that meal is as long as it's not something that you've never done before and it's going to upset your stomach. Um, but, yeah, so. See, I feel you there. Anyway, I'm, the all about, about it. <laughs> I'm all about eating early. And I know, like, some people, you know, want to hang out and stuff a lot the night before the race. But I like to eat early. Like, I don't want to be at the restaurant, you know, trying to get a table at 7 o'clock. That ain't me. For sure, yeah. yeah. Sure. So I feel you there. So, uh, <clears throat> Rhea, I know that you, uh, I was looking at your website, and you're actually, a, you, you do coaching, and you have your own, like, kind of training website that you're doing now uh you want to tell us a little bit about that yeah um i've been doing it for quite some time now it like started like sometime before covid and then when covid ramped up i put more effort into it just because i wasn't entirely sure where the athletic career was gonna go and i realized i really really like it um so i have like not a lot of athletes i think i'm at like 15 16 right now um and i just like to keep it like very manageable in a way where I know what every person that I coach is doing and it's like very like one-on-one interaction and one-on-one plans and I have like I have like probably half of them are in OCR but I also have like mountain biking and trail running and ultras and like schema so it's it's a big variety of athletes and um yeah I really I really enjoy it I actually just had my logo made like three and a half three and a half years later um but yeah, it's it's just like a thing I really enjoy doing on the side. Um, I got a lot of degrees, not really related to what I ever want to do in life, and so it's fun <laughs> to be able to apply some of the skills of like just acquiring knowledge and learning and like just scientific scientific research um, to an area that I'm I really love, which is the performance and athletics and endurance. So. Um, it's been a really fun journey, and I feel like I have a really fun bunch of people that um, I see at quite a few races where I go to OCR ones, especially. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like your acronym for it. Is it? But but do you pronounce your acronym Cape? Is that how you say it? Yeah, I wanted to play on like the word like Cape, as in like superhero Cape. Right. But then I inserted my last name in it, so it's like the K. For the K, <laughs> I don't know if it comes across, but that was kind of the thought process behind it. <laughs> I like it. You should advertise it more because I don't think I, I guess I, I, I haven't read it in any of your posts or uh, I heard you talk about it much. Um, maybe I heard you talk about it in an interview, you know, during COVID, but you should advertise it more. Yeah, I, it's kind of like on purpose, not because I don't want it. Like, I'm happy with the size it's at right now. Right. And, you know, word of mouth, people hear about it. So I do get new athletes every now and then. Um, but I just don't want it to ever be something that I feel like it's you like, oh, handle. I have to do work right now. It, I want it to be like taking enough time where I still have enough time to properly train and do other things in life. Right. Um, and right now it's like at a perfect perfect balance <laughs> so yeah um but i do have like two or three spots right now that i could fill so if you know somebody who's looking um you can send them my way <laughs> well i thought it was and i don't know if you're still offering this too but i thought it was really cool how you had a ultra plan on there for women and it's a free ultra plan as long as they're signed up to do a ultra i thought that was pretty cool yeah, I still have that, and I don't think I'll ever remove that. So it's that's like kind of like rolling bases of people that sign up. Um, I checked it a lot. Like I have to go check if people sign up. So I check it about once a month. Um, so I roll out new new plans once a month. But um, I feel like it's like a small way of, that I can give back because I feel like I had a lot of opportunities in life that led me to have the life I have right now, and I feel like that's like a small way that maybe I can give back and get more women to the start line because there's not a lot of us in ultras. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do see a, a lot in the age group, but on the elite side, you really don't see a lot of women on the elite side at the ultra yeah. races, for sure. The start lines are pretty small. And and I saw that you also offered a couple of other services on there, like a zone service, too, as well. Yeah, so that's exactly what we were talking about before, like heart rates. 
zones are different for every person. So, um, you know, if you if you know how to train and you don't really want to coach, but you want to know what your zones are, I can help you with that um, as well. It's not, it's, it's all like, all my coaching is online. Um, so I don't really do it in person, mainly because I'm rarely located in one specific location for a very long time. It sounds um, like it. But all of those services that I offer work pretty well um, yeah. off online. Well, it looks pretty cool. I mean, and hopefully that uh, people listen and they'll, they'll reach out to you about some training plans too. And they look, they look relatively affordable as well, especially the free one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the free one comes with some like little qualification points. <laughs> right, right. But um, yeah, I have, you know, I try to make a price where it's not prohibitive to most people, um, but it's still fair to the work that I've put in. Well, it, it looks very competitive to what most OCR athletes are charging for uh, training. Plans, yeah, so. and that's kind of where, what I like based my my services on. Are you still working with Yancey Camp too? No, that's long, long gone. Oh, is it? Um, okay, I wasn't, been, I wasn't aware. Yeah, I've been working with Josiah now for about like a year and a half, right. close to two um, and he's been my soul coach. I just, my, my girl, my girlfriend yeah, was sorry. using, my girlfriend was using Yancey camp at one time. And I think she was using you as an athlete, but it's like you said, I think okay. it, it was over a year ago. So. Yeah. So, well, okay. Ray, I, you know, everybody I bring on the show, I always ask them the same questions and I want to ask you these same questions as well, because you're no different than anybody else. So, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> to, so to this day, out of all the races that you've done, and it can be any any sport, what has been your most favorite race and why? Oh, um, probably Eco Challenge. Um, just because it was so out of anything I've done before, um, and I've it basically opens the door to many of the other sports that I do because it's a, it's an adventure race. It's a multi-sport competition. So it got me into mountain biking, uh, which then eventually got me into skiing and like all these other sports. And it really showed me that the limits I was placing on myself were maybe not where I thought they were, which kind of gave me the courage to then branch out into other things. And I, I probably wouldn't have otherwise if I didn't have that one experience. So, Go with Eco Challenge Fiji. <laughs> did, did, did it get it? Did it get you into getting lost in the woods a lot too? Is that kind of like a new hobby that you want to pick up now that you've done that a couple of times? <laughs> well, I think it got me into being like it actually did get me into really enjoy to enjoy moving off the trail, right? Um, but I prefer being found while doing that. Right. <laughs> That to me, I, I get lost on marked trails. I don't want nothing to do with having to rely on a compass. I would just, I, it would be a lost cause for me personally. I know it would. I be. mean, I do, I do use the apps and GPS technology <laughs> when I'm by myself. <laughs> when there's compass and map involved, I just have other people tell me where we need to go, and I follow. <laughs> I know because nowadays, like we've got GPS in all of our cars, and I'm like, man, this used to really suck back in the day when we have to print out instructions off a of map quest or use a fold up map. And then map. you took like the wrong turn, and you were lost forever. <laughs> oh my god, man! These kids growing up these days, they just don't know how easy they got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um. One thing I wanted to ask you about Fiji too is because because your your team placed second there, right? Was it second or was it third? We did. We it, were second. It was second. So, what kind of prizes and stuff did y'all get for doing that? Or was we got fifty thousand dollars oh, for the team. So that was split five ways. Oh sweet! Um, yeah, because there were four of us and then a team assistant. Um, but you were like, I did not know how expensive adventure racing was until I got oh, into I one. So it was nice to have prize money to cover the expenses. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. All your gear alone was probably close to that, you know? Yeah. Especially the first time. Cause I didn't even have a mountain bike and then we really like needed to buy all of like the lightest thing that was out there. So it was, it was quite expensive to get all the gear. It's better now because I have what I have. And so like, feel like the, the cost of entry is just exuberance. <laughs> but then once you're in it, it's 
a little bit better. So you didn't have a mountain bike. Did you learn kind of mountain biking on the fly for that race or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got my mountain bike in April and the race was in September. So I had five months to oh, wow. become a mountain biker. And I feel like, you know, like I think gymnastics helped because I have like really good awareness of my body and good coordination. So it was like a steep learning curve, but it was enjoyable, and I feel like I've learned a lot in a quick amount of time. Uh, I know, like, it'd been years since I'd rode a bike, and just one day I just decided, man, I'm going to go buy a cheap bike from Walmart and just ride 30 miles. And I rode 30 miles, and my ass hurt so bad the next day I didn't pick up that bike for another month. That's probably because of the bike. I feel like bikes are one of those things where you really get out what you put in. <laughs> so that's, like, the, the sad part. Like, you can buy a lot of speed with buying better equipment. Right. Um, right. It is what it is. I just know it was bad on my tailbone for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of need to buy chamois, chamois too, if you're, if you're going to go on a 30-mile ride. Yeah, probably right. So, okay, so now the reverse of that question right there. What has been your least favorite race or the race you hated the most and why? No. Oh. That's a harder one. Do you want to remember really hating on any of the races very much? Probably, like, just generally races that I showed up to the start line injured. And I feel like that was, like, quite often, you know, three or four years ago when I didn't really have the healthiest relationships to sports and food in general. Right. Um, but, yeah, I would say it's not so much about the race, but more about the state of the body that you have coming in. So probably go at Chicago, Spartan, I don't know, what was that, 2018 maybe? Um, it was super muddy. Yeah, I remember that. And one. I had stress reaction on my metatarsal. I was denying. And I broke it fully, like, shortly after that race. And I flew back, you know, pushed around the airport in a wheelchair. So that wow. one has a pretty sour taste in my mouth. <laughs> So, but it didn't have so much to do with the races, just me being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we can be stubborn like that, running through pain, you know, just because you got to get the run in. You don't want to take a day off. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure most people are guilty of that at some point, you know. Yeah, I definitely have to learn that the hard way. And I feel like introducing like other sports like biking really helped with that i haven't ran through pain in a very very long time because whenever there's any kind of niggles that pop up i always have the bike to jump on that feels equally fulfilling and can really help the healing before the niggles become injuries okay so now what is your race routine like you you talked a little bit about it earlier, but on Fridays, like, do you have, like, a certain go-to meal? Do you do certain things on Friday to prepare for the race Saturday? And on Saturday mornings when you wake up, is there certain things that you do and nutrition you take or supplements? Like, how do you prepare to win your big races? Yeah, I guess I because I had such unhealthy relationship with food for a long time that kind of dragged with it a lot of like really set routines that I thought were the key and there was no other way to do things right I think because of all of that I kind of now try and shy away from those maybe even to a fault but I like to stay very far away from that line that I crossed um a while ago and so really the only things that I try to do is I try to eat not too late before the race so like six or seven um, so I have time to digest, but I really eat whatever is available. So if people go out, I will go out. If nobody's going out, I would just like cook something. But I don't have any one specific meal I would do. Um, so anything is like pretty much fair game. I've had really great races on pizza or Thai food or chicken and rice or like ice cream or any kind of variety of food. Um, and then the morning before the race, I try to wake up two and a half to three hours before the start. And I would have oatmeal with some like fruits and nuts and maple syrup um, at least two hours before the start. So I have enough time to digest. Um, and it's a pretty like big breakfast. I would say it's probably over 500 calories, but I don't really count. Um, 
and then they just let that digest and they don't have much um until the start and they would usually have like an energy gel five to ten minutes before the start um unless i know it's gonna be a really fast race out the gate then i would wait and have the energy gel like right after um but other than that i really don't have any specific routines and i've kind of learned that the less i stress about specific routines the better i tend to do so maybe my routine is have like you know certain things that i know that work like letting food digest and having simple carbs in the morning um but other than that really have like be spontaneous and know that my performance is not really determined by exactly what i'm gonna eat the day before and the morning off um yeah. <laughs> I think I remember hearing you do an interview one time where you said you had a bad relationship with food. Um, I kind of feel like I don't have, I have a bad relationship with food too. Like I'm a bad binge eater. Like I'll eat healthy all day and then like I'll eat one cookie and say, screw it and eat the whole pack. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I've been really you know what bad helps that. that. Having cookies every day. Yeah. then you'll never be tempted to have the whole box because you can always have another one the next day. <laughs> that That's really what helped me is like, I used to have no, like, I, I had bulimia for a very long time, but I would have no, like, what I considered unhealthy foods around me. And so I would have these really strong cravings. And once I normalize them and have them in the house, now stocked at all times so I can get them at all times they stop being special and they stop being something that I really crave unless it's something my body needs. And then I would just give it. And I feel like, you know, like it's not as simple as I just said it. It took many years, right. lots of nutritionists and, you know, like mental coaching to get there. But um, it's kind of liberating to be in a place where food is like an enjoyment factor and social factor and something that fuels my exercise and not necessarily something that I feel like it's going to, ruin my performance if I don't do it right. Yeah, you're talking to a guy that just ate half a birthday cake in one sitting this weekend. <laughs> I mean, for special occasions, birthday cake, birthday <laughs> was it? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just trying to figure out what special occasion is going to be this weekend, Raya. <laughs> I just love food. Um, okay. It's supposed to be loved <laughs> it is it is for me for sure so what is your fueling protocol during a race you just said that you might hit a gel right before the race or wait after that but do you have like a certain set like you take a gel every 30 minutes you know what what is your fueling yeah. protocol so i i aim for 200 calories or more an hour um so if i like if the races are long i would go a little bit over that and at least 40 grams of carbs. And so I use spring energy. Um, I really like them. They're more like whole food based. So they're a little bit easier for me to digest. They're not like as sweet and as sticky because I'm not very good at drinking. So if you have like the sticky gels, you need to drink a little bit more with it. And I'm yeah. not the best of that. Um, and they have like a few different flavors. So I tend to just stick to awesome sauce because it's 180 calories and 45 grams of carbs. And I would take that every 45 minutes or so um during the race but it kind of like the, the exact timing kind of depends if i'm doing an ocr race like where i try to take it away from the obstacle so i'm not like in a gel with my hand and then there's monkey bars if i'm like doing mountain bike racing you know you, you can't really eat on the sand so i would eat on climbs so the exact timing changes a little bit but i aim for about 200 to 300 calories an hour and you know 40 to 80 grams an hour um in every race that i do I love the spring energy gels, but there was one flavor I got one time because it was like a variety pack that we had. Yeah. And there was one in there. It was like it was like a spearmint flavor or something. And I want to say it might have been black and blue, but man, it was rough. I, and I was I was just doing a training run, gratefully, but I was like, oh man, that was rough. Yeah, the flavors are quite strong, and you know, like some of them people love, some people hate, but I feel like they have enough of a variety you can find something that works so for me like awesome sauces is the jam <laughs> <It's> jam <laughs> well that's cool well hey raya i'm all out of questions but i mean is there anything else that you want to tell us that like some people might not know about you oh gosh i don't know <laughs> i feel like 
Yeah, I don't really know any. I don't usually have fun facts of my teeth. So no, no fun you facts. A lot of a lot of good questions. Um, but yeah, I don't think I have anything else. All right. Well, Raya, you want to tell people where they can find your website and if they inquire some training or find you on Instagram? Yeah, so probably Instagram is the easiest. It's just at Raya Colbo. And then if you go to my bio, I have that little link tree. And there's like my link to my website and my coaching and some of the discount codes that I have and a lot of other good stuff. So Instagram is probably the best. And if you send me a message there, um, I'm most active on there. So I'll probably see it and I try to respond in a timely fashion. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Raya, for uh, talking to us today. Thank you. It was great. Hope you enjoyed the interview. I want to thank Raya again for taking time to talk to us. Um, I will be at Newberry next weekend for the Super Sprint weekend. Having fun. It's going to be an awesome weekend. I'm super looking forward to it. Come up to me and say what's up. But anyway, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and we'll see you at the next race. Peace. Peace.